the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If ever you want a clear picture of the magnificent, transcendent glory of Jesus Christ, look no further than a mirror and your own evil nature. Let's talk about the reality of sin and the glory of Christ next. Consider it the Andy Froyland paraphrase of Luke 7:47. He who is forgiven much loves much. And that is the heart of this series we find ourselves in the middle of here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi, and welcome to our program. The Reality of Sin is the title of our series. And really, in order to understand the brilliance of Christ, a helpful look at the depths of our sin brings Christ more into focus, much like the black backdrop for a brilliant diamond, right? With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. What's the most important thing the Bible teaches us about the Garden of Eden? Do you remember from our study several weeks ago? It was the home of God. It was God's home on earth. And in the last verses of Genesis 3, God chases Adam and Eve out of his home. And they become strangers to God. And that is the worst thing that sin does to a person. It separates him from Almighty God. Let's look at some verses. Let's look first at Isaiah 51, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save... Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now let me read that second verse again. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin does today exactly what it did in Adam's day. It separates you from God. It causes a breakdown in your relationship with God so that he can, you cannot expect God to hear you. Now, sometimes God sovereignly hears the prayers of unbelievers for various and sundry things. There are examples in Scripture It's not exactly correct to say that God never hears the prayers of unbelievers for various temporal needs. But listen, unbelievers have no reason to expect that God will ever hear their prayers. They have no basis on which to pray. It is an audacious thing for an unbeliever to pray. The Bible says that sin has separated us from God and that He will not hear us. Now, unbelievers say blessings over their food. 
They pray at funerals. They pray at weddings. They certainly pray when tragedy strikes as if God is listening to them. And except for those extraordinary situations in his sovereignty, the Bible says that God's ear does not hear the pleas for help of the unbeliever. Beloved, that's what sin does. When a person sins against God, breaks his law, the first thing that is affected is his relationship with God. And beloved, if you are cut off from God, you are cut off from the rest of your life. If you are separated from God, nothing else is going to fit together. Every other relationship is going to go sour. All of your efforts of trying to make something out of life and understand life are going to fall apart if God is not the root of your life. Scripture says God is the source of life. And when we separate ourselves from God because of our sin, all of life just shrivels up. The consequence of that first sin is the consequence of every sin that has ever been committed. And when a person loses his communion with God, he becomes less than human. Augustine said, O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. Well, if a person is out of accord with God, If his sins have separated him from God, then Augustine's words are most true of man. There is no rest for the wicked. His whole life is one of restlessness. There is no rest for his weary heart because the only place a a human being's heart can really find rest because of the way he was created is in the triune God. And when you separate yourself from God, the rest of your life will be characterized by restlessness. Well, what is the second consequence of that first sin? The second consequence of that first sin is a life lived under the anger and the curse of God. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. You see, God pronounced a curse on the central roles of man and woman here. He curses that which is most important to woman in her productivity and her meaning in life, which is childbearing. He curses the man in his central role of vocation and productivity or labor so that nothing in all of his life has fulfillment for him now. Both man and woman are separated from the home of God. And until God brings them back home, nothing in life, childbearing to a woman, vocation to a husband, nothing is going to bring any fulfillment in life. Why? Because of their deliberate sin against God. God's anger and God's curse rest upon the entirety of their lives. That's what God says in Romans 1.18. He says, The wrath of God is revealed against all unholiness and unrighteousness of man. The entirety of life for the unbeliever is lived under the wrath and under the curse and under the anger of Almighty God. That was the effect of the first sin and that is the effect of every single sin since. Jesus, who 
spoke a great deal about the love of God, also spoke about the anger of God that rests upon all human life. Look with me at John chapter 3 as I quote the loving Jesus in his attitude toward God's wrath and anger. He said in John 3, 36, He who lives in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So here you see Jesus Christ describing the life of the unbeliever as the result of the sin in his life, as a man and a woman and a young person living under the anger of Almighty God. And beloved, that is a terrible thing. Some of the most blood-curdling chapters in the Bible are those figurative, metaphorical descriptions of what God's anger does when it is unleashed upon a man or upon a nation. And if you want to see how devastating the anger of God is, read the book of Nahum sometime soon. The anger of God is not simply something a person without Christ, because of a sin, will experience beyond death. But the anger of God is something that has temporal expressions here and now in our lifetime. And I want to take the time to look at five or six things in the Bible that God says His anger does to people here and now that persist in their rebellion against Him. For instance, turn with me to Romans 1, and let's look at a few verses there to see how God's anger expresses itself upon men and cultures right here and now, unless it is removed by Jesus Christ. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is unleashed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men. And then down in verse 24, notice, Therefore God gave them up, or God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up, or God gave them over, to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them up or God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, etc., that is one way God's anger often shows itself on individuals and on societies and on cultures. God turns a person or a nation over to a reprobate, perverted, wicked mind. In other words, God sometimes punishes sin with sin. Sometimes in his anger, God punishes sin in a person's life by removing his restraining grace upon him, enabling that person or that culture to commit more heinous sins. 
And then he punishes them for committing more heinous sins by removing more of his restraining grace so that they will commit even more heinous sins. And God punishes sin with sin. God gives up a culture to perversion and wickedness. Sometimes God gives up a person to wickedness and perversion. And here it says that one sign that God has given up a culture is when that culture is dominated by homosexuality. Did you see that? God gave them up to perversions, women desiring women and men desiring men, which is one of the marks that a culture has been burnt out and it has been given over to reprobation by God. That is a condoning of widespread homosexuality. And beloved, it is a terrible thing for Christians to live in a culture that God has given up. We are living today in a culture that God has given over to reprobation. And the more perverted the crimes and the sins against God become in our culture, the more God may remove His restraining influence, and the more perverted the crimes may become, because God often punishes sin with sin. And your only protection in a reprobate culture is a close relationship with your family in your church with the Lord Jesus Christ. In a reprobate culture, if you young people and you parents try to wander from your family, don't stay closely tied to your mother and father, husband and wife. And if any of you families try to get along by yourself without active involvement in this church, then, beloved, you will not survive in this reprobate culture. There are some of our families here who I believe think that all they need to do is just come to church once a week and have no other involvement. You know, I don't need any further involvement in the worship service. I don't need any further involvement in any of the studies that the church offers. I don't need any further involvement in any of the church activities or even the lives of my brothers and sisters. I'll just pay my tribute and I'll come to Sunday worship, but don't expect anything else from me. I'm just too busy. Beloved, a warning. You will not survive this reprobate culture if that is your attitude. You will not survive. And it is a terrible thing when God expresses His anger on a culture by giving it up. And in this culture, your only hope is to stay close to God and to your family and to your church family. Well, let me give you another expression of God's anger in this life. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Sometimes God does just this. Now, this is a difficult chapter to understand, so I'm not going to try and explain all of it to you. I'm just going to try and explain one point. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 3, and I will read from... Verse 3 to verse 12. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? 
And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawlessness will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, if someone does not believe the truth of the Word of God, and he takes pleasure in wickedness, and he runs, then he runs risk of having an angry God send a deluding, deceiving influence into his life, causing that man to believe what is false, that God says he might be judged by me for all eternity. That's how angry God is with sin. If you love pleasure, if your only thing is having fun and a good time and playing with your friends, whether you are a young person or adult, and you only work as hard as it is necessary just so you have time to play, and you spend no time in the Word or in your practice of God's Word, maybe it's just hit or miss, or just when you're feeling spiritual, You run the risk of having God send into your life something that will terribly confuse you about what is true and what is not. And that's what leads many, many people into the cults that we have around us today. And then if someone comes along with some false doctrine, like antinomianism, or the new perspective on Paul, or federalism, or theistic evolution, or rapturism, or the anti-church aved movement, they will sound so reasonable and so logical that they will draw you in and you will wander off from biblical truth and the reformed faith. And it is because God sent a deluding influence upon you and confused you so that you would believe what is false. Why? so that he might judge you for taking pleasure in wickedness. That is how much God is angry with our sins. Here is another form that God anger takes. Sometimes God is so angry with a person in this life because of his sin that he hardens his heart to the point that it makes it impossible for that person ever to believe in Jesus. Sometimes God... To punish a hardened sinner, someone who is actually hardening his own heart against God, God's anger comes against that person, and he hardens that person's heart to the point that he will never believe in Jesus. In other words, sometimes God actually completes what man starts. And beloved, if you harden your heart against God, if you develop a resistant attitude toward God, when God is convicting you of your sins and your conscience is troubling you and you know what the Bible says, but you start resisting it and you start putting up a guard, searing your own conscience and justifying your rebellion, God may 
give you over to that attitude forever and continue the hardening of your hearts. You think, maybe if I can just forget about this, I can harden myself just enough against the Holy Spirit. And he'll stop convicting me of my sins. Beloved, if you do that, God may just finish the process. If you start hardening your heart, God may take your heart, may make your heart like stone. And let's look at a couple of passages. We'll look at Romans 9 and Matthew 13. And in case you think I'm going too far, let's look at one chapter in Romans chapter 9, 18. And listen carefully to this. I'd like you to, if you would, please to open your Bibles and follow along with this. This is what God says about this. I'm not going to interpret anything here. So you can't say, well, Pastor Gary, that's just your interpretation. I'm going to read this just exactly like it says. No interpretation. It says, Romans 9, 18. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Pretty clear cut, right? Matthew 13. Jesus is speaking here in all kinds of parables. And his disciples come up to him and ask him, why are you speaking in parables? Why in this indirect method? Why don't you just come right out and say what you mean? Why these parables? What's the purpose of parables? Telling things in an oblique way by means of allegory. Notice his answer as to why he spoke in parables. Matthew 13, 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. In other words, his disciples have been given the privilege by God to understand the meaning of his parables, but others have not been granted that privilege by God. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in perils. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking here. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. In this case, this, and in this case, we see the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled. Which says, now listen. You shall keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return, and then I should have to heal them. And Jesus quotes this in two or three places, and time and time again says, you start this process of hardening your heart, so that you can't see and you can't hear and you can't understand, I will finish the process so that you'll be so hard you cannot believe and you will be condemned forever. One of the most foolish and dangerous games a man can play is to harden his heart and his conscience, even a little bit. When the Word of God is preached to you and you see clearly it is your duty to do this or that, but you don't do it, and you think you can get away with it, you are hardening your heart. 
when a minister of the gospel or an elder or a friend lays out before you your duty as a Christian, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as a student, as a church member, and they say, here is what the Bible says you are supposed to do in black and white, and you feel guilty, or maybe you don't feel guilty because you think you are just so smart, and you're doing nothing to fix the situation, you are hardening your heart. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408 408- 866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And we also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 